Welcome to a new episode of Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, the true crime podcast from Lee Enterprises. I'm Chris Lay, the producer and co-host of the show, along with Nat Cardona. On Crime Beat Chronicles, we pair audio from articles, read by me, alongside interviews conducted by Nat with the journalists who covered the stories. For this upcoming set of episodes, we're looking at a series of articles that will be coming out from the Buffalo News about a decades-old murder of a Catholic priest. The homicide went unsolved, and there were vague rumors of a cover-up. Thanks to recently acquired documents and the hard work of the Buffalo News watchdog team of Lou, Michelle, Dan Herbeck, and Mike McAndrew, they're publishing a collection of articles starting next week that will reveal everything that they've uncovered. First, though, we want to set the stage with Dan Herbeck's article from 2018, which acts as something of a primer for this series, which you'll hear excerpted along with Nat's conversation with Dan about that article. Of course, we'll have relevant links to the Buffalo News articles in the show notes, and we certainly encourage you to subscribe to Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles wherever you get your podcasts to catch our upcoming coverage of the series, as well as to keep an eye out on buffalonews.com for the articles as they publish starting this weekend. We'll be back with the article and the interview after this short break. Cold case. Whispers of cover-up remain decades after priest's murder. By Dan Herbeck. Originally published November 13th, 2018. They made their chilling discovery almost six decades ago now, but Matthew Nasca and Patrick Baruso remember it like it was yesterday. Finding the body of a murdered priest is not the kind of incident that anyone forgets. On March 13, 1966, they were out for a carefree Sunday afternoon hike along Skajakwita Creek. As they walked along the creek behind Assumption Church on Amherst Street, the boys stopped to investigate what appeared to be a dummy lying face down in shallow water near the creek bank. They pulled one of the hands up out of the water and spotted a gold watch on the wrist. I told my friends, nobody puts a gold watch on a dummy, recalled Nazca. We turned the body over and you could see it was a man who looked like he was brutally beaten around the face. They ran to the nearby Polish cadets hall where someone called Buffalo Police. A day later, they learned the victim's identity. Monsignor Francis J.V. O'Connor, 44. He was the editor of what was then called the Magnificat, the Buffalo Catholic Diocese's weekly newspaper. No arrest was ever made. If police ever determined a motive, they never revealed it. He was a gifted, talented priest, said Monsignor James Connolly, one of the few surviving Buffalo priests who knew O'Connor. He was well thought of in the diocese. I've had strange feelings about this from the day he died until today. Connolly said. Who killed this man? Why did they kill him? It's a mystery. So I'm here with Dan Herbeck. I would like you to go into your history in the journalism field, uh, where you started and where you are now. Well, I've been a reporter at the Buffalo News for 45 years now. 
It's the only newspaper I've ever worked at as a professional. Uh, I went to St. Bonaventure University for journalism, and I got very interested in investigative reporting. I've done almost my whole career has been police reporting, working in the courts, or investigative reporting. In what year did you start there? I've been here since 1977. You're kind of a unicorn as far as I'm like a dinosaur. Yeah. No, not that. It's just it's a it's a strange thing that you, you haven't jumped around. Paper. Yeah, it's very <laughs> unusual. And I used to even deliver this paper. So when I was a little kid, you just yeah. bleed it through and through. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nuts. I'm on the watchdog team at the Buffalo News. How did you How did you start with that specifically, as opposed to any other? sector category at the paper? Well, the news just wanted to upgrade its investigative reporting about 10 years ago when they established this watchdog team. And I was just very honored that they uh, asked me to join it. And I've been very proud of the projects that we've done for the, the news. Sure. Makes sense. Uh, as far yeah. as your cold case article goes, so bring me back to 2018. How did this come about? Uh, we, the thing that popped out to me is it wasn't an anniversary article. You wrote it 52 years out. So it wasn't the 50th anniversary, no real new information. So what prompted you with this? Well, the funny thing is I actually remember reading about this case when I was 11 years old and I used to deliver the newspaper. And as I would uh, walk around my route, I would always look at the headline stories and I'd read the stories while I was delivering papers. I was just 11 years old. I was a kid from a Catholic school, Catholic family, and these huge headlines on our front page about a priest being murdered and found face down in a creek. I mean, it just was extremely shocking and upsetting to me. So that case always kind of stuck with me my whole life, always wondering whatever happened to that priest. Then in 2016, I started doing cold case stories for the Buffalo News. I've always been interested in unsolved crimes, especially unsolved murders, uh, where families were victimized and there was never any justice. So I had been doing these cold case file stories for our newspaper. And one of our other reporters, Maki Becker, uh, suggested to me that we do a story about this old unsolved murder of a priest. And I and truthfully had not thought about the case in a number of years. So I said, you're right, this would make a great story. And she had already started on it. And uh, she had filed a freedom of information request with the Buffalo police for the case file. She then turned that information over to me. And I did a story on this long forgotten murder investigation. Was this the precursor to the series of articles that are coming out now? I mean, the five-year gap, I guess I'm trying to see how, how that bridges from 2018 to now where you have this slew of articles coming out about this case. Well, when I wrote the story in 2018, um, I was proud of the story that I wrote, but um, I had phone calls from a number of people, including a a very prominent retired judge and some retired priests and some retired uh, police officers I knew who told me, 
you guys should take this further. You should keep looking into this. So I talked to my editor about it, Mike McAndrew of the Watchdog team, and he not only decided we should take a further look into it, he, he assigned one of our very best reporters to work with me, Lou Michelle. And uh, Lou brings a lot to the table because he not only has more law enforcement sources than any other reporter in Buffalo, he's also the hardest digging reporter I know. So we worked together as a team on this for well over a year. In what year to what year would have that been? We started on this about a year and a half ago. It's still a work in progress. We're still looking into tips. We're still very interested in pursuing this case as far as we possibly can. O'Connor was believed to have been killed between 4 and 6 a.m., eight to 10 hours before the boys found his body. He had last been seen alive around 9.30 p.m. the previous night, when he spoke briefly with a nun at the Sisters of St. Joseph Mother House on Main Street, where O'Connor lived. The clergyman's new car was found on Lincoln Parkway about a mile from his body. Some drops of blood, O-positive, O'Connor's blood type, were found on the front upholstery. Dagenhart theorized that two men who may have known the priest attacked O'Connor in his car at an unknown location, then took him to the creek and dumped his body. The priest's wallet was missing, but the killers did not take his watch. The immediate cause of death was drowning. But there were signs that O'Connor had been beaten. He had cuts on his head and chin, and his larynx was fractured by blows to the neck. O'Connor's wire rim glasses were found neatly folded up on a Skajakwita expressway guide rail not far from his body. The Magnificat ran photos of O'Connor with various dignitaries, including former President Harry S. Truman. He was a great man, a dedicated priest, a hard-working newspaper man, and a wonderful human being, said the Magnificat in an editorial. They called the Buffalo-born clergyman a scholar who was proficient at sign language and lip-reading, skills he used to teach religion to youngsters at St. Mary's School for the Deaf. For weeks, the murder was a top story for the two daily newspapers, the old Buffalo Courier Express and what was then called the Buffalo Evening News. But then, very abruptly, according to Connolly and another elderly Buffalo priest, the investigation and all news reports about it seemed to come to a halt. It seemed like the investigation just stopped all of a sudden, and it went no further, recalled Connolly. To me, it seemed like everything was just hushed up because they had come to a certain point and they didn't want to take it any further. Believe you me, there were people in our diocese who had the power to make that happen. Can you describe what the FOIA process is like for people that probably don't even know what that is? Well, it's called the Freedom of Information Law, and every state has them, and the federal government has them also. Any public document, you can file a a request for it and, and get that information if it's a public document. Now, it was very interesting in this case, back five years ago, when uh, my 
fellow reporter Maki Becker first filed a Freedom of Information request in this case. The Buffalo Police gave us a file with exactly 30 reports in it about this murder investigation. Each of these reports was a, uh, a report filed by any one of the detectives that worked on the case. And so we got 30 reports, but it was very clear from looking at the file or what they gave us, based on the way the reports were numbered, it was clear to us that they had only given us a very small portion of the actual file for reasons unknown. And that was in 2018? 2018. So fast forward to about a year and a half ago, I'm assuming that's a separate FOIA FOIA request? Uh, Lou Michelle filed a second Freedom of Information request about a year and a half ago. And lo and behold, the Buffalo Police found another easily 40 or 50 reports that they hadn't given us the first time. And yet, we're still aware, based on the numbers of these reports, that there's dozens of reports that were in the file at one point that we have not received. Okay. Which leads me to ask, do you think these are files that were found, like you just said, or files that were now decided to be released? Can you speculate on that? Great (laughs) question. And I have the same question that you have. I can only tell you that uh, we have no reason to believe that the people who are currently running the Buffalo Police Department are withholding information from us. Could these reports have been destroyed? Could they have been put aside somewhere where no one else could find them? Could someday we still end up getting these reports? I, I don't have the answers to that question. I can only tell you that the Buffalo police have told us they've given us everything they have. And fair to say with everything that you were able to get from that between you and Lou, uh, with the articles that are going to be coming out here shortly, new information was found? from this stuff? Tons of new information. When I wrote the story in 2018, um, I interviewed a couple of sources who had talked to one of the chief investigators in the murder case. And that investigator told these two people on separate occasions that he was ordered to stop the investigation because another priest had emerged as a suspect in the murder of Monsignor O'Connor. So there are no references to that in the original Freedom of Information reports we got. No references to another priest being a suspect. In the second batch of reports we got, did discuss that a priest had emerged as a prime suspect in the case and that he had been investigated thoroughly. He had been questioned. They had received special permission from the bishop to question this priest. But there was no explanation in what we received with the second batch of reports as to why this priest was a suspect and why it was decided not to charge him. One of those more questions than answer moments. The worst. Right. I think this is a good time to 
describe for us uh, both as much as you can back then and now? What's the role of the Catholic Church in the Buffalo community? Well, Catholic Church has been a very powerful force in Buffalo for probably easily 200 years. It's it's the predominant religion in the Buffalo area, and um, there are many Irish Americans, Italian Americans, and Polish Americans, especially, but also others that that are Catholics. Now, when this murder happened in 1966, the Catholic Church was actually a much more powerful force in Buffalo than it is today. It's still a powerful force, but it was much more powerful back then. And in recent years, there have been a number of scandals associated with the Catholic Church in Buffalo, mostly involving priests who molested children. And these cases were covered up. Nobody was ever arrested. And I literally mean nobody. I literally mean nobody. Um, for many years, the Buffalo police had a policy where if they had a report that a priest molested a child, instead of investigating it as a criminal case, they would turn the information over to the bishop's office and the, the bishop's office would investigate. And as a result, there, there was only one priest in Western New York in at least the last 70 years who was ever criminally charged with molesting children. And that was not in the city of Buffalo, that was in the, a rural area. And that priest uh, ended up pleading guilty to a misdemeanor. And I don't believe he ever even served prison time for it. So as a result of these scandals, which have been uncovered by uh, one of our reporters, Charlie Specht, Lou Michelle, and many other reporters in Buffalo, the church has lost a lot of favor with people in Buffalo. So that is, I think that is one of the reasons why people were anxious for us to investigate this murder case, because it had been kept quiet for so long. Um, and a lot of people who were around then are still around today, and they remember it, and they wonder why the murder of a very prominent beloved priest was never why the investigation was never finished, why nobody was ever brought to justice. This is probably an important time to mention. You, you said you're Catholic, right? Or were really yes. raised Catholic? Yes. Okay. Well, Michelle and I are both Catholics. Got yeah. it. Um, and from a Catholic family as well. For for listeners or readers that aren't familiar, the Catholic Church is very much a it has a presence and almost a law of its own. Do you think it's fair to say that? Yes, I do. People may yeah. be confused as to how it operates. Uh, there's, you know, a hierarchy of positions and how things, information is disseminated or decisions are made, correct? Yes, and they're not subject to freedom of information uh, requests or anything like that. They, even though they're a very powerful institution uh, and gets a lot of money from the citizens of Western New York, they're they don't have to tell the public very much about what they're doing or why they do it. Right. Okay. I still go to church every Sunday, by the way. <laughs> hey, same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, 
No detectives involved in the 1966 probe are alive. Current Buffalo police officials say they cannot determine what happened in an investigation more than half a century ago. In response to a Freedom of Information request from the news, Buffalo police provided a redacted file on the O'Connor investigation, but large portions of it are missing. There are no reports written about the Monsignor's body being found, or any reports or interviews conducted in the first two weeks after the body was found. The file contains 30 reports on interviews conducted by detectives between March 28th and May 3rd, 1966. There were no reports after that. Monsignor Connolly recalled that two Buffalo homicide detectives came to his rectory to talk with him about two weeks after the murder. They asked me about a young man who had worked with Monsignor O'Connor, Connolly recalled. I was serving at a parish in Arcade, and this young man had come to see me after the murder. He was extremely nervous and kept going to the bathroom five or six times, but he never explained why he came. The detectives asked me a lot of questions about him, but he was never charged with anything. Can you talk about your conversation that you had with Monsignor James Conley for this 2018 article? He's quite old at the point you caught up with him. Monsignor James Connolly was a very well-respected pastor in the Buffalo Diocese. Many years ago, I wrote a story about him, and he always appreciated that story, and he stayed in touch with me over the years. So when I realized we were going to investigate this murder case from 56 years ago, he was one of the first people I called because, first of all, I knew that he was willing to speak. He was not a shrinking violet. He would tell you his honest opinion about things. Secondly, I figured at age 97, he might have known this priest. And in fact, he did know Monsignor O'Connor. He liked him very much. And he was even questioned in the murder investigation, not, not as a suspect, but he was questioned about the behavior of a, a man who worked for Monsignor O'Connor, who who, in addition to this priest, was also considered a suspect at one time. So I'm getting the sense that there was no hesitation or trepidation on his end as far as sharing what he knew, as much as he knew. Unlike most priests in the Catholic Diocese of Buffalo who are very scared of coming forward about some things, Monsignor James Connolly was very willing to talk to me. And he told me flat out, he thought that this case was covered up. He said, believe you me, there were people in our diocese who would have had the power to make that happen. It's like the biggest cliffhanger ever. Did your eyes pop out of your head? You're like, oh, there might be more to this. Well, I already felt that there was more to this, but that was very interesting when he said that. And, you know, a few months after I interviewed him, he died um, a few months after our our story ran in 2018. I had gone to see him uh, at the residence where he was living. You know, he hadn't been returning my calls. There was a bunch of people sitting in his room from the diocese, and I knocked at the door. And the door was like partially open, 
and they said to me, oh, well, Father Jim has died. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I knew he'd been ill, but all the same, it was, I guess I'm just glad I was able to talk to him about this case before he died. Yeah, I was going to say it's pretty, it's pretty uh, big pot of luck right there. Yeah. I wish he was still around because I wish he was still helping me with this case. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier. Can you describe what Monsignor O'Connor was like as much as the research that you did? Because obviously you didn't know him personally. Um, but can you can you paint a picture for the listeners of who the, who this guy was, the victim? Monsignor O'Connor was, at the time, one of the most high-profile priests in the, in the Buffalo Diocese. He was very intelligent. He was a big, likable man, stood about six foot five. He, he rose up very quickly in the Buffalo Diocese. He was made a uh, pastor and a Monsignor in his 30s. Uh, and we were told by his family that he was one of the youngest people, if not the youngest Monsignor ever made in the Buffalo Diocese. He was appointed to be editor and publisher of the, uh, the Magnificat, which was the newspaper run for the diocese by the bishop's office and the diocese. And they would not put someone in there unless they really trusted this person and, and felt that he would be a great representative for the diocese. He had met President Harry Truman at one point. He had traveled to Rome and visited with the Pope at one time. He was, he was very highly respected. It was a real shock when his body was found in Skajakwita Creek, which is a creek that runs through North Buffalo, and it runs through the most well-known park in Western New York, which is Delaware Park. For reasons unexplained, um, he had gone out late at night on a Saturday night in uh, March of 1966. He was the chaplain for a building where a large number of nuns lived. And it was very unusual for him to go out late at night by himself. Never came back. The next day, the nuns reported to Buffalo police that he had not, never come home. So Buffalo police started a search. And as it turned out, there were three young boys. They were all altar boys, by the way, which is just a coincidence, but they were out, they were out goofing around on a early Sunday afternoon and they found this body. Well, they thought it was a mannequin floating in the water face down Skajakwita Creek. They went over and looked at this body and the one boy yelled out, wait a minute, he's, he, he's wearing a gold watch. Nobody puts a gold watch on a mannequin. They pulled the body toward the shore and they could see it was a human being who had been very badly beaten and uh, was dead. They ran to a, a nearby social hall where someone called the Buffalo police and the police came out. And in short order, they uh, realized that this was Monsignor O'Connor, one of the most beloved priests in Buffalo. Yeah, and which is why this was all the more shocking. Yes. Right. And he was only uh, 44 when he was killed, right? Yes. And, you know, it, it was almost uh, unimaginable at that time that a priest 
such a prominent priest could be brutally murdered in Buffalo. Although, I must say, six years later, another priest, Father Vincent Bell, had been murdered, and he was one of Monsignor O'Connor's best friends. That was determined to not have any connection, though, right? Or do you not believe that? It's always been stated that there's no connection between the two murders. And I can tell you from from Lou Michelle and I spending hundreds and hundreds of hours working on this, we have never found a connection except for the coincidence that these two guys were very good friends. Very terrible coincidence. I mean, that's, yeah. that's insane. It's That's pretty nuts for sure. Yeah. There was another disturbing angle to the O'Connor murder. One of his best friends, a fellow priest, was also murdered six years earlier. Father Vincent L. Bell, then age 37, was shot to death on New Year's Day 1960 as he prepared to leave Holy Cross Church to visit and administer Holy Communion to people who were sick and unable to attend church. An elderly Buffalo man was charged with the murder and later acquitted at trial. According to Connolly and the other priests, Bell and O'Connor were the best of friends. Newspaper reports say O'Connor was the executor of Bell's will. Two close friends murdered. So tragic, Monsignor Connolly said. There has never been any suggestion by police that the two cases were connected. Although O'Connor was slain more than 52 years ago, Buffalo police say the investigation remains open. If they were in their mid-20s at the time of the crime, the killer or killers would now be somewhere in their mid-80s. Who would murder a priest? That really bothered me, said Baruso, one of the boys who found the Monsignor's body. Every time I think about it, I'd say a prayer for that priest. Thank you so much to Dan for his time and insight, and for the rest of the Watchdog team in Buffalo for all their hard work reporting out this story. We're going to be back next week with more interviews related to the first handful of articles from the Buffalo News' Monsignor series, so make sure that you're subscribed to Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can check the show notes for links to the 2018 article, as well as find all of our contact info and where you can follow along at buffalonews.com. Thank you so much for listening. Were you here for a, a news report? Or? Oh, no, I was there to watch the Packers get their ass kicked by ah, you guys. I love it. Sorry. <laughs> I had a great time. The Packers didn't, but you did. Oh, yeah, yeah.